This is Dom Bettinelli, the CEO of SQPN, with a brief but very important message. For more than a decade, SQPN has produced the Catholic faith and pop culture podcasts that you love. We're a nonprofit organization, so it's only your generosity that lets us carry out our mission. We haven't run a fundraiser in two years, and that's why we need to ask for your help right now. Please make a pledge of whatever amount you can afford to help us continue providing your favorite podcasts, as well as exciting new ones we have planned. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. Thank you for your generosity. May we hear from you today? You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 95. Oi! Don't be scared. All of this is new to you and new can be scary. When people need help, I never refuse. There's this moment when you're sure you're about to die, and then you're born. I know exactly who I am. I'm the doctor. Ta-da! Ooh. Should be fine. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series Doctor Who. When, and right now we're talking about the new Doctor Who season. Finally, very happy. Mm. Yay! <laughs> Today we're discussing... The second episode of the new season called Ghost Monument. Uh, and uh, I want to call it right off the top that uh, Jimmy was right. But first, yep. joining me today <laughs> on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And, and Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? We'll get into how Jimmy was right in a minute. But uh, first, I want to take a minute at the top of the uh, show to, um, to, kind of, to, 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 to give you a message about uh, if you asking for your support for SQPN and for our efforts at uh, creating this podcast and bringing this podcast to you. Uh, we are starting a, uh, a giving campaign in which we, uh, we, we turn to you, the listeners, to help support what we do in our efforts at creating not just this podcast, but all the podcasts that SQPN produces. Uh, Jimmy, do you, do you got a couple words for the listeners on that? Yeah. So uh, for people who may not be aware, uh, StarQuest is a nonprofit organization, and our mission is to uh, kind of explore the intersection of faith and geek culture. And it's right there in our in our title, StarQuest. Uh, it's based on the Bethlehem star that led the wise man, the wise men to Jesus. And so we want to uh, using uh, Christian and Catholic faith to engage uh, pop culture and help bring people closer to God. And we need your help to do that. <clears throat> um, you know, we made a decision a while back at StarQuest. Uh, the board made a decision to expand our efforts. Uh, we were at a point where we could have kind of limped along doing maybe one podcast, but that wouldn't help us fulfill our mission of reaching people. We wanted to do more than that. We wanted to be effective with our mission. And that meant we need to we needed to hire someone who happened to be Dom to uh, work full time on producing a whole range of podcasts that we're now rolling out. Things like Secrets of Star Trek, uh, Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, the revived Let's Talk, and others as well. And in order to produce those, we needed uh, someone working on them full time. We also needed to be able to pay, you know, hosting fees and things like that, uh, computer equipment, software, all the different things that go into producing quality podcasting. And we correspondingly need your help. We haven't run a giving campaign like this in two years. And our <clears throat> our funds are nearing depletion. And so 
now is really when we need to hear from you. If we don't, then it'll have significant implications for the future of StarQuest and the shows that you love listening to. If you want to hear those keep going, we really need to hear from you. The way to help is by going to sqpn.com slash give. Once again, that's sqpn.com slash give and signing up uh, to support us through Patreon. We have a series of uh, different gifts that we'd like to send you as thank yous, depending on the amount of support you're able to provide the program. Uh, we have some that are specially themed for fans of Doctor Who, and I was involved in picking these out. There are things that I think you'll really like. Uh, uh, two of them are uh, the respective parts one and two of Space Helmet for a Cow, which is a history of the Doctor Who program. Uh, volume one covers the classic series. Volume two covers the revived series. The subtitle of Space Helmet for a Cow is the mad true story of Doctor Who. And it is a mad and true story. It's a lot of fun to read. It's written very humorously. Um, but it also conveys a lot of inside kind of behind the scenes facts that you wouldn't know about the producers of the show and things that happen behind the scenes and the actors uh, who've played the Doctor and the Companions. It's a, Both volumes are a lot of fun to read. I've read them. They're hilarious. Um, but they also give you that insider's behind-the-scenes look on the show. I've recommended them, in fact, to Dom and Father Corey uh, as reading material for uh, for information to bring out here on the podcast because they're just that informative and that much fun. Also, we have uh, an in-universe guide for you. It's the Time Lord's equivalent of a brief history of time. So it's the history of the universe from the Time Lord's perspective from some press on the planet Gallifrey, and that's a lot of fun to read as well. So based on uh, your level of support, we'd love to send you all three of those or, you know, whatever corresponds to the level you're able to afford. We also have uh, thank you gifts themed for other shows, including Star Trek and Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. So the way to find out about those and to support SQPN at this time, which, as I said, is crucial that we hear from you, uh, is to go to sqpn.com slash give. Once again, that's sqpn.com slash give. You know, since this is a podcast, you could pause it right now and go visit that <laughs> link while you're thinking about it. Because I know if I don't do things when I'm thinking about them, they can fall through the cracks. And we really don't want that to happen here. So please go to sqpn.com slash give today. And thank you so much for your support. It really helps us ensure the future of StarQuest. Thank you, Jimmy. Uh, don't pause it and do it while you're driving, though. Uh, yeah. Pull over well, to the side of the road. Yeah. Pause, <laughs> pull over, give, and then get back on the road. That That's right. That's what I would be doing if I was listening on my commute. Uh, it reminds, reminds me of when I was a kid watching Doctor Who on PBS, and they'd have their, their fun drives. You know, <laughs> Let's find out what's going to happen to the Doctor after we tell you about our new fun drive we're starting. Yeah, yeah just but be glad we didn't thing. do this in the middle of the episode. No, exactly. no cliffhanger today. Thing. So that's over. We're not going to talk about it for the rest of this episode. Uh, we're going to talk about the second episode of uh, the, this season of Doctor Who, Ghost Monument. Uh, uh, as a quick recap, Picking up from last time, the doctor and and, and her friends. Now we they're not companions to her friends. Oh, are, they're companions and friends. Well, we'll continue to call them companions because we're yeah. old school mm -hmm. Doctor Who fans, and 
Uh, that's it's, we're stuck with that, but that's what they're calling them now. Anyway, they're floating in space, and they're picked up by two space rally uh, racers and taken to a nearby planet that's called Desolation. Uh, the planet is a death trap, and they have to get across it, avoiding all the dangers, while proving that working together means survival. And they have to reach the finish line where the Ghost Monument stands, and the Ghost Monument is the TARDIS. As as, as I said. Jimmy mm-hmm. predicted it last time that yep. it would be. The Seemed character. the obvious uh, solution. It's what I would do if I was a writer. They right. need to we, get back to the TARDIS quickly. And if you and since the TARDIS flickered out last we saw it, it made sense that it would be a ghostly monument flickering in and out of existence. Right. Now, so, I, I have to say that this episode felt very, very familiar. Well, they it, called it, it the Hunger Games. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen those. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I've read the books and there's there's a lot of elements that are very similar, including the the joint winners of the rally. Oh, know, really? That, that's well, one of the plots of the original Hunger Games. The first book is the two of them win when they only one was supposed to. Well, to be fair, I mean, Doctor Who has been doing this very sort of uh, story and as have a lot of other stories uh, mm-hmm. long before the Hunger Games existed. True, I mean, true. Th- there, it is a classic plot of. Uh, we are stranded here and have to get through this dangerous place over there in order to escape. I mean, we, we saw this in the very first season of Doctor Who several times, like, and right. I mean, 1963 season. So oh, this is the very first story. I mean, the tribe of gum with that caveman, they get captured. They have to make their way back to the TARDIS. Exactly. Exactly. So, I mean, to be fair that it, I mean, yes, it was, I, in some ways, I always felt like the Hunger Games was copying a lot of other people. That's true. That's true too. But it, it just—it felt so much like just Hunger Games re- retold. Yes and no. But yeah, okay. <laughs> there are only a certain number of plots, as Jay and Barry said in the Cylon Scriptures. The author of Peter Pan: all of this has happened before. All of this will happen again. <laughs> exactly. Mm. So, but let's start from the from the very beginning of the episode, which is we actually get an opening this time. Yeah. There's a, a yeah. new opening. Um, it's shorter. It returns to a simpler theme music. And it has no TARDIS and no face, no right. Dr. Face. Yep. And Ooh. and the patterns that they are showing are on the screen are very much reminiscent of the patterns that they would show during the time of the first and the second doctors. Yeah. They're these right. surreal kaleidoscopic patterns. And it this felt like just an updated version of that, where they're well, a little even, more even, three-dimensional. Even the music was, it, it sounded like it was the original music, but as a remix, you know, a little yeah, bit heavier right. bass, a little bit heavier drum line, but the same basic mm-hmm. melody, the same basic, well, yes. the same basic song, you know, yeah. I mean, I, recording. I re- I really liked it. I thought it was refreshing to see that. I think it's a nice callback for the longtime fans of the show. It's a way of signaling mm-hmm. continuity, even with the early days of the show. And um, <clears throat> I like it better than some of the later and some of the more yeah. recent opening credits. Right. Murray Gold has has had been the composer for the all of the re, uh, the return of New Who. And he he redid the theme music, I, I think, five times in his tenure at least um, at least four times i can think of yeah i i think i think i said I, I kind of five in and each time he like he started actually uh, very simple and each time it got more complex and the first one was was basically the original theme with by an orchestra instead of a, mm-hmm. you know a, a electronic um uh organ and so but it got more and more complex and this is sort of a return to that and 
I said last time that I, you know, I they we didn't get much of the theme music very much at all, um, but this we did, and I like it. I'm I think it's a nice uh, a nice update and simplification of of the theme music. So I was happy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, so the episode is also it's written again by Chris Chibnall, just like the first episode, and the next several episodes are also written by right. Chibnall. So he's writing basically the first four or five episodes, One writing or co-writing. co-writing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the 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 first one we know of, we only have uh, uh, titles and synopses going out to I think the sixth episode, and I think that one is uh, that one's ri- uh, the um, episode's called D- the Demons of Punjab, and it's written by uh, Vijay Patel. So uh, that's the first one that Chibnall is not writing. Hey, hey, he's the showrunner for the first time. He gets mm-hmm. the right the first uh, half well, a dozen and, episodes. And this this episode, because it starts right where the last episode left off, almost feels like it really is a two parter. Yes. And without that, explicitly saying it, it'll be interesting to see if they keep that up, because that also is a hallmark of the original series. It began with every single week's episode leading directly into the next. Right. Mm-hmm. A constant movement continuation from one to the next. Um, it was filmed on location in uh, South Africa, which is, uh, I think, the first time they filmed oh, I there. Thought, I thought you were going to say it was filmed on location on Planet Desolation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know if any South Africans feel like their their uh, country is like a desolate planet uh, sometimes, but but it was filmed on location in South Africa. Uh, in the past, in in New Who, they filmed uh, on very uh, on islands, and I, I I was going to look it up. I forgot to look it up. Was it the Azores or the Canary Islands or both? I think where they I did think what? Where they filmed um, some uh, like off-planet location well, shooting. Yeah, like outside of where, and yeah. places like that. Like out, uh, and, and they've also filmed in Spain. I think a couple times. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so as far and, as outside of Great Britain, yeah, uh, yeah, yes, the few times in the U.S. So, uh, so in South Africa. I liked the uh, the location shooting at mm-hmm. the the the, the, uh, the locations were dramatic. I think they added mm-hmm. to the atmosphere. Really, really good. So as and far it as it wasn't a quarry, so that's a good thing. Yes, yeah. <laughs> not another quarry. So as far as the uh, the the plot itself, we start off with a yet another uh, hallmark of Doctor Who. So there's two ki- basically there's two major kinds of dramatic ways that they built tension: TARDIS separation, where the Doctor is separated from the TARDIS and has to get back to it, which we've ha- we've got, and then mm-hmm. Doctor separation, where the Doctor and companion or companions are separated and have to get back together. Well, we start here with TARDIS separation, and then we go to Doctor separation, but very briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Graham and, and Ryan are separated. Whereas the Doctor and Yaz are are on a different spaceship that they've been scooped up on. Yes. Um, one thing I noticed about Graham is, throughout this episode is he seems very calm and capable in a crisis, mm-hmm. whereas Ryan uh, is often wide-eyed and out of sorts. I mean, he's young. He's like 19 or 20. So, yeah. this, you know, it's understandable. Yeah, this was something that I had in my notes. In this episode, Graham... Now, I didn't think that Graham came across as especially likable in the first episode. No. Yeah. Uh, his 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 wife, Grace, was the much more interesting, compelling character, and Graham was kind of a stick in the mud that mm-hmm. really didn't come into his own until her funeral. But now he's come into his own. And in this episode, he's much nicer. He's much more likable. I don't think he's really I mean, maybe he's still in the retroactive phase of denial about Grace's death. But emotionally, he's not grieving enough. Um, Right. And but uh, but Ryan, by contrast, 
comes across as much less likable in this episode. He's more <laughs> immature. He's more juvenile. He's he's being rude to you know his uh, however you want to say it to his his, his grandmother's husband. <laughs> yeah, um, and and so we've it, that plant some nice seeds for character drama. I'm glad that they that they gave us a nicer Graham in this episode. I think they still need to do more with Graham's grief. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm not as happy about what they did with Ryan, but I do recognize you need to start somewhere lower than where you're going to eventually go with these characters. So well, it's 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 interesting too you kind of point that out because there was that scene where where Graham is talking about about Grace and Ryan says, well, you talk too much about this. He goes, well, maybe I do. You don't talk about it at all or enough. Right. But, you know, so it's kind of ironic. There is that where Ryan thought he was talking too much, but it may not even still been enough. Well, certainly Graham doesn't look like he's grieving as much. I mean, there there is apparently a separation of time. I mean, there had to be this time, a time period between when Grace died and the funeral, you know, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, a week or so. So a, a little bit of time has passed. Uh, and it what, took time for her to build the TARDIS finder that then took them all wherever they are. So could right. have been a month or more. Right. Uh, but certainly he would still be normally would be grieving. Um, I was messed up for two years after my wife died. Yeah, uh, exactly. The one thing I have to say is I think almost all TV shows, unless it's uh, central to the plot, do not do not give justice to how people grieve the loss of a loved one. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I think like, I, I think cop shows are worst at it uh, because you have like a, a, a spouse who dies in a violent way. And like, it goes beyond shock. They're kind of like, Oh no, <laughs> you know, like, Oh darn. Well, you you like, might have like one episode, right? One episode. And then the next episode it reboots and, and it's something they'll mention once in a while. And you maybe yeah. you'll have one scene once in a while, but then they're kind of sad. Yeah, exactly. So I just don't feel oh, like I miss they... my wife. I'm going to go <laughs> shoot a bad guy. Yeah. You know, and some of that's understandable because, it, you know, watching people grieving for long periods of time, <laughs> episode right. after episode is not going to attract ratings. It's not going to please the audience. <laughs> no. Right. But I think they could have done something more here than they did. I mean, yeah. you know, a moment of tears for Graham or something just to, even without words. I think there's an opportunity to do that in the next episode coming up, which we can talk about at the end about the Mm -hmm. the next episode. But there is there is the sense of shock too. you think about it, where these people have been violently ripped away from everything they've known. And it's been kind of a whirlwind tour from that point. (laughs) So you can kind of understand that. But yeah, like like you said, though, I mean, it would have been something if at that moment when there's Graham and Ryan talking about it, where you did see a little bit, you know, the eyes tear up and a little bit of a, you know, a reaction as they're talking about it. Right. I mean, they are on an alien planet, which I love the doctor's response. Oh, first alien planet. Don't touch anything. I have to what, say the, pay, the Oh, go ahead, Jimmy. One, go one on. thing that I wanted to note with the guest cast this time. So we have three guest cast members. We have yep. the race master. I mean, you know, the, guy, the guy running the race. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then we have the two competitors in the race. Um, and the, the guy who's in control of the race is pretty unsympathetic. He only appears in two scenes at the beginning and the end. There's not a lot to him. Right. Um, where the more psychological character interest is, is in the two competitors. Mm-hmm. And they set us up with the male competitor is unsympathetic, whereas yeah. the female compar- competitor is sympathetic. And so we've got yeah. 
okay, playing into classic PC tropes here, if we're going to do this, it's going to be the man who's the unsympathetic one. It's going to be the woman who's the sympathetic one. Um, so that was a little disappointing. But I said to myself, I had a feeling that what would happen is that by the end of the episode, that they yeah. would uh, undermine that, like reverse it. Right. But and they did. That's didn't. what I would. Well, yeah. I think they did a little bit. I think yeah. I said they're going to do something more interesting here because the way they've set this up, they they put the audience in the position of rooting for the woman to win. Right. Uh, that's what they want the audience to be thinking is we want this woman to win. We want the man to lose. And right. I said, but that's too lazy. That's that's they're going to do something to undermine that. And eventually they did. Um, they had the man make the interesting point at the end that, Hey, it was my cigar that saved everybody. <laughs> right. And, yep. and, and that, even though he's still the less likable of the two, we were able to get to a point where they proposed the joint winner status mm -hmm. and they both yes. committed to that and they both found, a, an element of redemption there. They might've been able to play things a little more subtly than they did, but at least they, they they didn't go with the ham-fisted good woman wins bad man loses that's right. thing that they could have right. done also uh, by the way how, how bad is it an idea to have a snap activated uh cigar i know it's like, <laughs> that's just, that was my that's thought too it was like that's, that's just like a horrible idea <laughs> yeah got one of those in your pocket someone says oh we're gonna get through this just like that and your pocket <laughs> yeah. catches on fire well, it's, it's um, about as bad as having a snap activated hole in your head. So, yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> the uh, one thing I did think I was surprised when they because, you know, again, you know, and this is true of the beast of the BBC. There's such a tobacco phobia these days. Yeah. Um, and they've basically eliminated smoking on on screen out of very outside of very limited circumstances, especially in a program like this, um, mm -hmm. when they they the one exception they made that was notable was for Winston Churchill. They right, when right. they had Winston Churchill on the show, they let him smoke a cigar. When they had um, when they had uh, oh, what's it, Vincent Van Gogh on the show. He didn't smoke his pipe, although just at the end, as he was turning away, we saw him holding it. Um, right. but there, but other than that, there's been like no tobacco in the show. And I was surprised that they made such a big deal out of the cigar and then handled it and they integrated it to the plot and then handled it in a relatively moderate way. We didn't get a big mm -hmm. anti-tobacco sermon. All we got in that regard was it's, I hear it's bad for your health or it's right. bad for your health. And one line. And yeah. other than that, it wasn't a big deal. And I thought, you know, I'm not a fan of cigars personally. The tobacco they make them out of, I don't think smells attractive, mm -hmm. uh, but um, or nice. Um, yeah. The um, so but I was pleased that we didn't get a big sermon on that. And also, it's just a little bit interesting um, that the doctor saved the day by lighting a cigar. Um. <laughs> yeah, I think one of the one of the reasons that that it got through was because no one actually smokes the cigar. No one's right. actually seen smoking it, and that the it was the unsympathetic figure who had it. So right, I think it played into that. Yeah. Um, for the record, by the way, the doctor uh, used to smoke a pipe back in the first yes. uh, doctor's time. We uh, saw him lighting his pipe once. Right. Um, the 
the one thing, even though it's a concession to modern sensibilities where they say it's bad for your health, okay, um, that wouldn't necessarily apply at all to space cigars. They might have a medicinal healing effect for yeah. all or, we know. Or to aliens, because, of yeah. course, both uh, Angstrom and Epso, both when when asked, you know, when told that uh, the, the group, you know, that the companions are from Earth, they're humans from Earth. They're like, what are humans? What what's Earth? Yeah, we don't, uh, we don't know what Uman beans are. Right, yeah. <laughs> one's an Albarian and one's a Muxteran. You know that. So, is it bad for them? Who knows? I mean, and you know, it, who knows that even a, the cigar is actually tobacco, as you said. So it's uh, yeah, it's um, and, and again, there's there's the sense of moderation. It's very different uh, to smoke, say, a cigar a week than it is to smoke, you know, three packs a day. Hey, right. if you well, win a race in which three thousand nine hundred ninety nine of your competitors are knocked out and you win. Uh, and you win I, enough money that you're set for life. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah, you, yeah. you, you can smoke a cigar. <laughs> so the uh, being a race that, that, that is at the heart of this, the, the show does move very quick. It, mm-hmm. I got to say that the energy and pacing is uh, I wouldn't say it's relentless because there are no. moments uh, to stop and uh, recollect and to kind of have conversations. But the mm-hmm. pacing was good throughout it. Yeah. it was, uh, I thought it was. Uh, exciting uh, it, in parts, and uh, mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. Um, one thing I question I had is they're not in the future, right? They're just displaced in space. It's that's unclear. I, um, I was I would assume it's just displaced in you know in, in like you said in, in location, not mm-hmm. time. Because she um, was using the the Stenza relocation device to go which, to another planet, but not another time to find the TARDIS. Right. Right. So that's what I, I kind of, that was my initial question. Then I, I was, because these not humans look a lot human. So sometimes we see, you know, the humans that have gone out in space in other episodes. Yeah. So the, uh, we, we get that. Yeah. It's not clear, but I think the preponderance of evidence points to this being just far out in the present. Like, yeah, halfway across the universe or something like that, you know. So one of the things I liked is it is this continuation of the new doctor personality where um, she doesn't know everything, but yes. she's very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and sometimes she doesn't even know what's really going on. Like when they, when, they, when she first wakes up on this spaceship, she doesn't know what's going on, where she is, you know, wh- why she's not on this on a planet with the TARDIS. Um, but she's but she is very smart and comes up with solutions. Um, yeah. And I like that. It's uh, we've talked about this before. The the whole doctor astride the universe, omnipotent and omniscient versus mm-hmm. uh, the doctor. I, to me, she reminds me a lot of what I've seen of uh, uh, um, Peter Davison. Yeah, mm-hmm. she reminds me a lot of Peter Davison, too. Not the same, but yeah. and she's perkier and quirkier, but she has a lot of the same humility and vulnerability and limitations that Peter Davison yeah. has. And he was he was one of my favorite doctors for just that reason. Right. Yeah. Um, and she continues to sort of apologize. Uh, I hope it doesn't that doesn't become like a, overdone. Uh, the apologies. But yeah. by the like by the end of this, when she thinks that they've lost the TARDIS forever and they are now stuck on this planet, I mean, she nearly despairs and it's the companions who have to buck her up i thought this was weak writing um when they get there and they see the tardis is not there they've been told it materializes every so often every however a thousand cycles or something and they don't know what a cycle is that's never been established so that could be every thousand minutes 
Um, mm-hmm. If I was the doctor and I was there, even if I thought a cycle could be a year and we're going to be dead long before that, I would I would keep everybody's morale up instead of say, instead of you know d- instantly despairing in front of everybody. I'd say, okay, it's not here right now. We need to uh, wait for it. Maybe there's a way we can find to speed it up. Let me use my sonic screwdriver. Um, <laughs> the 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 because then she does to help it home in. Um, the, the solution they provide where the doctor is despairing and I don't mind, I actually like the idea of them showing us the doctor despairing Mm -hmm. and I don't mind the idea of the companions being the ones to supply hope. I just think they did it ham fisted here because they haven't provided an adequate basis for her despair. Um, and, and so consequently it felt like a cheat. And then they, they gave us a deus ex machina resolution to the despair <laughs> in like 30 seconds. Yep, where right. it, it, it's, it's like, come on, you haven't set up or paid off the despair in a believable way. Right. Yeah, that was a little. Uh, uh, yeah, you're right. It was a little bit of a ham fisted uh, writing of that. It was too much, too quick and then resolved too quick. Um, so uh, we 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 get a question that like I, I, I feel like Chibnall um, at times anticipates the fan question, the fan objection. Um, mm-hmm. How are they talking to these aliens without the right. TARDIS being there? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, <laughs> if the TARDIS, you know, the, if got the a, TARDIS isn't there, we have the metapods implanted. Uh, got a little babelfish stuck in the back of your spine. Well, I, 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 love, I, I love Graham's reaction to that. It's yeah. like, can people yes. stop sticking things in me without asking first? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's so great. Uh, if, uh, if, uh, I feel like Graham is now uh, the, 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 uh, the twelfth Doctor's snark and like cranky old man uh, for yep. the uh, for the group, but I, I, you know, so we're not going to lose that that bit of kind of humor. <laughs> a bit. Um, so we get we encounter this guy Illin. He is uh, he's he's chilling in the tent. You see what I did there? Uh, he's the saw it <laughs> originator of the uh, was it Rally of the Twelve Galaxies? Sounds like an yep. epic race. And this is the last one. Of course, they they show up this, and he says. Uh, the rally is a test of survival. How far will we go? How will will we react when challenged? It's the ultimate test. And of course, it sort of lays out this idea of, okay, so we're going to see how do people react under pressure? That's the sort of the theme of the show, mm-hmm. of this mm-hmm. episode. Um, so then uh, we, uh, we get another nice uh, nod back to Classic Who with uh, the Doctor uh, takes down Epso, who's got his gun on Angstrom, with a little uh, Venusian Aikido. Yeah. Yep. Which is very and, nice. And it was, it was so that's a third Doctor reference for people who may not be familiar. John yep. Pertwee was known for using Venusian Aikido. They recently re-referenced it with Peter Capaldi's Doctor. And so this was a nice, you know, tie-in to the old show to honor its heritage. And they advanced it a little bit because now the Doctor tells us that Venusian Aikido was invented by Venusian nuns. So yes. <laughs> as, a, as a pacifist martial art, I want to see that order of, uh, of nuns. <laughs> they're, they're, I bet they're cool. Um, uh, early on, I noticed they kept showing these scraps of fabric everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you did did that stand out to you as, you know, we're, we're, we're setting something up? See. For me, I, I first thought it was they're showing that, you know, this is remnants of the people that were there and, the, you know, people had died there. You know, this, this was yeah. all that was left of them. 
But okay. of course, they go further than that. But that, that was kind of what I was thinking, though. It's kind of like the, the the stereotypical Western scene where you see the, you know, the cow skull with the the, uh, the <laughs> right. turkey vulture sitting on top of it. That's what I was thinking. It was kind of like where they where I first really took note of them was where cigar guy goes to have a lie down and one of them starts to cover him. And mm-hmm. and they they show it starting to levitate up over him in a menacing yeah. way. And I okay. thought they were going to do something creative there, like it's an auto blanket. You know, you lay down and it lays over you just to be because that's its function to be nice, okay. yep. keep right. you warm. But no, it turned out to be a monster. But once it was a monster, I thought it was an effective monster. Yeah. Oh, right. yeah. And we'll. We'll talk a bit about the about more about that in a second. Yeah. I want to I want to deal with the what what it comes up because of that. Yeah. But the, I, I thought that as soon as I saw like the the first couple times that they framed a shot where the the this this fabric or what have you these scraps were framed in the foreground, I said these are going to be significant. But uh, Father Gray, I thought it would have some, be something like uh, that's going to somehow come out that these are the the bodies or some some remnant of the original mm-hmm. settlers. Uh, I didn't I, I, I didn't anticipate that they would actually be deadly. But, you know, they tell us everything on this planet is trying to kill you. Well, I, I thought they were a little slow on the uptake of like weapons research disaster because that ex- the doctor's like, why can't I find something that explains this planet? And I'm going weapons research disaster. Come on. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Microbes in the water, poison in the air, robotic guards. This all spells weapons research disaster. Exactly. Yeah, the the weapons killing their designers. Yeah. By, um, by the way, her line: "Why would you leave robot guards on a planet? Maybe because there's something on the planet you want guarded in your absence." <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. It's not that um, hard to figure out. So some nice character moments on the on this solar powered boat that they're taking across the water. Um, it was an interesting yeah. uh, plot device to put them all together on this boat, even though it's a race. Um, uh, one thing and I noticed is Graham, I like Graham's and Ryan's contributions to fixing it too. Yep. Yes, and the together three, the tri-solar battery is a nice thing as well. Um, oh, by the way, I, I looked up NVP. I'm sure that all of our British listeners uh, knew right away what it was, but NVP is a sort of occupational specialty certification oh. that you can you can get certifications in different areas. Everything from you know a secretary can get certified at different levels, but also you know mechanics and. All kinds of occupational specialties. So it's Pardon. a way of unions reinforcing their dominance and keeping non-licensed people off the market. <laughs> like like here in America, where in some places you have to have a thousand hours of training to wash people's hair. Yeah. Okay. I, I will not. I will not get into the politics of that. So we're not going to okay. be discussing politics. <laughs> okay. <laughs> as much as I want to. Um, but uh, one of the things I noticed is that Graham Keeks keeps waking up Ryan in this episode. Do you notice that? Mm-hmm. We get a first person viewpoint from Ryan of Graham. Uh, you know, Ryan, Ryan, wake up, wake up. So at the very beginning, and then I'll get on the boat. I think what they're trying to do is to reinforce this, the the, the elements of this relationship between, between the two of them. Yeah. You know, right. we, we get a, and that, that and, kind of reminds Graham is taking the initiative in reaching out to Ryan. And it, yep. it, it would be entirely possible at this point in their relationship for given that they're not blood relations and that he's a second deputy mm-hmm. grandfather for them to just part ways and never see each other again. Right. And Graham is and that frankly is kind of what we get the vibe that Ryan would like to have happen. Right. Um but Graham is the one who's reaching out and taking the initiative to build a stronger bond with his adoptive grandson. Right. 
and and in fact, I feel like at this point, after two episodes, we've got a pretty solid character foundation and backstory for Graham and Ryan. I mean, we yeah. we know a lot about both of them, but we what we don't have Yaz. Exactly. We don't we the only in fact the only thing we have we know about Yaz at this point is she's a cop. She went to school with Ryan and what she says in this episode about how her dad is kind of uh, bossy or domineering and her sister wants her to move out so she can have a room. And that's really kind of all yeah, all we have much. about Yaz. Uh, again, I mentioned that there's a future episode where they go to uh, Punjab, uh, mm-hmm. where we're apparently her going to get. family may be from. Yeah, there's yep. apparently there's going to be some connection to her in that uh, in that episode of her background. So that would be nice because I feel like I want to learn more about about Yaz as well. It's the yeah. danger of having three companions. Um, so yeah, we get these sniper bots, and uh, th- there's this moment where. Uh, Ryan has had it with running away and he's decided, well, I'm going to pick up this gun and chase after the, uh, the sniper bots. Uh, and, and then of course he shoots them all down and then they all reset and pop up. Um, you know, what I think it reminded me of was, uh, the, uh, scene from star Wars where Han and Chewie chased the stormtroopers down yeah. around the corner <laughs> and then mm-hmm. turn turn around and has to run back. It was sort I- of the same thing. I admit, though, I completely facepalmed when at this scene, though, yeah. because he goes, I've been preparing for this my whole life. Call of Duty. I'm like, <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. Anybody who has ever actually handled a real weapon knows that Call of Duty is absolutely nothing like real life. Well, in one sense, that's the it thing. It was a fun it's, scene, but it was well, just like, ah. well, but don't they prove it, though? Like, he, yeah, yeah. You, you, you've played video games, but that doesn't prepare you to fight sniper well, bots on even, an alien planet. Even, having accuracy with an unknown weapon you've never fired before. You, you right, know right. nothing about how this thing works. And all of a sudden you're, you're point blanking them perfectly, you know, perfect shots, bam, 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 four perfect shots in a row. That's not now. No, yeah. that don't happen. Sorry. It, it, I face palmed for a different reason because I could see what was coming. The doctor has just told him not to use guns and he ad- he defies her and uses guns. And so it's like, okay, we're about to get a PC lesson here. Yep. And we did. Um, well, and then when he comes back, you know, he tells her he tells her to not go on about guns. And she says, I will go on about it a lot. And I thought, ooh, how six doctor break the fourth wall of you, you know, <laughs> stick it to the audience. But to be fair, isn't the doctor's uh, antipathy toward guns a fairly no, longstanding? I know no. it doesn't go way back. It, it's it's a creation of I mean, the doctor has used different tactics at different times. Um, he's generally avoided guns, but he's he's been open to using them. His whole third incarnation, he was teamed up with a military institution that was flying yeah. bullets at everything. Right. And he chastened him a little bit. And then in his fifth incarnation, he picks up a blaster and puts it directly up against the chest of a Cyberman and fires repeatedly until yeah. the Cyberman is dead. And so they've just they've ramped up the gun rhetoric in recent times to abnormal proportions for well, Doctor Who. And there's the and, whole and, line. There's a whole line in this episode where it's, you know, I'm going to defeat them with with intelligence instead of weapons. And I'm you know, you can't you can't outthink a bullet. Why not? I've done it my whole life. Yeah. Well, but the doctor has also used weapons. Yes. Most of his slash her life. Yeah, it's 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 not plausible and it's not believable, frankly. 
because okay. there there's a reason people create weapons, and that's because there are times when they're needed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that, but I will say fair. they've yep. yanked it back from the level uh, thus far. They've yanked it back from the level they were under Peter Capaldi, where he was like totally dissing any kind of soldier at all, including Danny Pink. Yeah, yep. that's true. That's true. He was he was. Yeah, the antipathy toward anyone who was involved with as part of their work weapons was was yeah. over the top with the, with that one. The only um, other bit and and this is the last PC thing I'll take note of in this episode. And I I'm, I'm I don't want to make it sound like there's a ton of PC stuff here because there's not. I really appreciate the fact they've toned it down. Um cuz it was at proportions it was bad before for a while, yeah. Yeah. Um but the only other thing is there's a moment where Graham says after they learned that the people who used to own this planet were the Stenza. Graham says, my wife died because of them. Mm. And then female likable lady says, mine too. Yep. So right. she was apparently in a gay marriage. And it's, it's just one line. It's there, but it is there. Right. Very. It's very consciously uh, put there. Um. So the we find out that the Stenza were kidnapping scientists and forcing them to create weapons of all kinds that now fill the planet and make it a deadly place. Um, so it's interesting to see that we now have the Stenza two consecutive episodes. So yeah. we were mm -hmm. we were told ahead of time uh, before the season began that we would not see classic uh, Who villains. We'd have new ones, right? At least in this first season. So mm -hmm. apparently, the Stenza are going to be a recurring villain here. Right now, some people took it further and said we're not going to have a season story arc. And I, when I looked at that, it looked to me like that's not exactly what was being said by the showrunners. Right. Um, it was an inference. And I think that this episode provides two significant pieces of data exactly. against that. The first is the Stenza, um, mm -hmm. because in the first episode, we have the doctor saying, if I don't do something to stop you, you're just going to keep doing this. And that's a promise to the audience that at some point she's going to stop them. And it wasn't in this episode. And then to have the Stenza show up again in this episode, even though they're not on screen, is another indication they're going to be a recurring villain. At some point, the doctor will stop them from doing what they're doing. Um, and, uh, and we may have a rematch with Tim Shaw. Also, I suspect based on it, I, the titles they gave us for the upcoming episodes, and I don't have mm -hmm. them. I think it's like episode five, the something or other conundrum. The Sarunga um, conundrum. Yeah. Sarunga. Yeah. I suspect that that episode also may feature the stenza in some way because it's the, the initial word. What is it again, Dom? Surunga or Saranga. Yeah, it it starts with a um uh with a couple of uh phonemes that are similar to the ones used at the front of Tim Shaw's uh name, Tim Shaw. And so I suspect we may get them there as well. The other thing that well, could, I could I could I address uh -huh, the, the, the yeah. first bit, which is Actually, there was an explicit comment by one of the executive producers who explicitly said, and this is a quote, I'd say the only series arc is the growing relationship between the Doctor and her new friends and how that team builds across the series. In terms of a story arc, there's a few little treats in there if you watch every episode. There's a few little things, but no, mainly it's standalone. The serial, if you like, is the growing relationship between the companions. And who is it that said that? Uh, that was Matt Strevens. Right. And then so, Chibnall said 
it's 10 standalone episodes. There's no two-parters or anything like that, which that um, is- So neither one of those is that different than what we've been having in terms right. of Doctor Who story arcs, where we have little tidbits that if you watch all the episodes carefully, you see we're going somewhere and then they pay it off at the end. Right. But it's not an ongoing, uh, you know, 10-part story. Because there's, I know you're going to bring it up here in a minute there, Jimmy, but there's something that was brought up as kind of a throwaway line, but that I think could be it's a hint to what they're doing, what yeah. they're doing. Uh, the, the timeless child. Yes, I would. That's right. exactly so let's talk what about I was going to say. That's like so, weird. so when the killer bed sheets are floating up in the air, reading everybody's mind, which is probably a sentence that has never been uttered before in human history. Um, <laughs> The uh, they look in the doctor's mind and they say, you're afraid for yourself and others. And they don't say the others. They just mm -hmm. say others. And then they they pay that off. So they've got a two. They've established a two part fear on the doctor's part herself and others. And then she said they say, you're afraid of your own newness. So that's her fear for herself. Mm -hmm. And um, but we see farther back. So this is going to pertain to the others she's also afraid of. And they refer to what she's hiding even from herself, the timeless child, the outcast, abandoned and unknown. And to me, that screams Susan. Susan mm. is the Susan is the timeless child that was outcast. The doctor shut her out of the TARDIS in her last mm -hmm. appearance. He abandoned her in 22nd century Earth, and her fate is consequently unknown to the doctor. So I think they're telling us that uh, the they're going somewhere with Susan. That's my best estimate on that hmm. one. So. Um but of course they say we see what's hidden even from yourself. Is Susan mm -hmm. hidden from herself? Yeah, I think the the doctor has I mean in a couple of respects um the doctor left Susan and therefore in a literal sense hid her from herself or himself at the time. And so she doesn't have knowledge on screen of what's been happening with Susan. So she and it's due to her own volition or his own volition at the time. And subsequently, also, you can say, well, she also may be deliberately repressing, you know, thoughts about Susan. Well, another re way that the Susan could be hidden from the doctor is that, that Susan has regenerated. Uh -huh. And right. my guess here's here's my guess. If Susan shows up again, Susan will not be a woman. It will be a man. Susan will have regenerated hmm. into uh, opposite gender. That would be possible. That would be a little on the nose, given all the other gender reversing we've been doing. Um, yeah, well. <laughs> one thing that I hope they make room, I would love to see Carol Ann Ford come back in the role because Carol Ann Ford yep. is still alive. She's still active. Yep. And she's actually done a bunch as Susan for Big Finish. Yep. Um, yep. Susan's had some dramatic developments in her life. Um, and uh, they've explored that on Big Finish with the eighth doctor who, even though he's a much younger man, she continues to call grandfather. And, hmm. I, and I would like them to find a way to both bring back Susan and, you know, drop a line that allows the big finish stuff to remain canonical, whatever they want to do with, right. with Susan from this point. I think That'd that's, nice. that's going to be an interesting thing with Chris Chibnall, because it was obvious Stephen Moffat was open to canonizing, quote, you know, keeping yeah. big finish yeah. or calling big finish canonical. 
it'll be interesting to see if Chris Chimnall has that same desire. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I don't know if, if he is. I mean, I, I think he, he's a fan of Doctor Who and I think that's why he took the job. But I don't know if he's quite the level that yeah, Stephen Moffat is. Yeah, he's 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 signaled he wants to do newness in a way that Stephen Moffat was totally into oldness. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely going in a different direction. But he's he's surprising me in throwing in some references like the Venusian Aikido that right, he didn't right. have to do. Um, yep. That that was there to please the longtime fans, and so are, so are the opening credits. Yep. So there's other possibilities for who the timeless child could be there, and I've seen I've been looking around and seeing what some of them are, and some of the better ones are. Um, the Doctor herself, uh, in some way, maybe a previously unknown regeneration. Um, there's been speculation that, the, in, in fact, there's been hinting, they said, that the Doctor has had a series of regenerations before the current, or the, the most recent 12, because now mm-hmm. we're, maybe we're in our third uh, set. Uh, uh, admittedly, a, 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 uh, a remote possibility. The, the only basis I'm aware of for that other than maybe an occasional, you know, ambiguous line is in a fourth doctor episode called the brain of Morbius, Mm -hmm. the doctor, Tom Baker's doctor got into a battle with the evil time Lord scientist Morbius. And it was a kind of a telepathic battle mediated through a machine. And we saw the faces of previous doctors on the machines display and we saw a bunch of faces we'd never seen before. And okay. they, the production crew has confirmed that at the time, and they wanted famous actors to play him, but they couldn't get famous actors. So they just me- used members of the production team. Um, <laughs> and the, they've confirmed that their understanding at the time was that those were previous incarnations of the doctor. But mm-hmm. subsequent, uh, subsequent developments have seemed to establish that William Hartnell was the first except for what's known as um, the, oh, I'm blanking on the name, but it's the something master plan, the Cartmel master plan. Um, Andrew Cartmel was a script editor they brought in during Sylvester McCoy's seventh doctor's time. And he developed a big backstory for the doctor that made him into a mythological Time Lord figure. Originally on screen, we've learned about mm-hmm. Rassilon and Omega or Omega, as they say. And Cartmel's idea was that there was another primordial Time Lord figure called the Other, and that the three of them were the basic founders of Time Lord society. And the Doctor was essentially a continuation of the Other. Um, and that later got explored in a novel called Lung Barrow, but never made right. it on screen. And they, they they did did hint at that on screen, you know, with um, that there was something big about him. In in like the twenty yeah. fifth anniversary, um, Lady whatever her name is, the witch, the sorceress, looks into the Doctor's mind and says, "You're way more than an ordinary Time Lord. They don't even know what you are." Mm-hmm. So another possibility is that it's the Master. Uh, although the thing that mitigates against that is that Chibnall has said that uh, the master is not going to be in this series, this season. Right. Uh, so that probably wouldn't be. Although I have to tell you, I would pay good money to see Missy and, and this doctor on screen together. That would be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we talked about Big Finish has announced Michelle Gomez in a new series of Missy plays. So those oh, are Oh, that out. could be fun. That's that could be awesome. fun. She's, Michelle Gomez is great. 
And uh, and then the other option would be uh, another relative of the doctor who's not Susan uh, that we don't know about, especially given that that reference in the previous episode that the doctor has no family, which is interesting, given that you mentioned Susan is out there somewhere. So maybe that is a, a hint that we will the doctor is going to be mm. surprised by that and that Susan is hidden from her. Um, or, <clears throat> of course, could be someone else entirely. So that's yeah. those are those are the, the various options. Um, so we get to the end and this, uh, you know, we don't have to go through every single obstacle they overcome. It's the standard quest obstacles that you have to get through. Um, I do, I did notice that Ryan says, why is it always ladders? <laughs> like talking about going yeah. up and down ladders because <laughs> he's got his uh, dyspraxia and yeah. climbing ladders is tough for him. Um, so, so the, she gets to the end. She, you know, we, we talked about it. She, she despairs. The TARDIS All, shows up. Also, that provides another moment of the doctor being mothering towards one of the companions, which is new, mm -hmm. um, right, where right. she like talks him up and builds up his confidence so he can go up the ladder. Yes. Yep. Um, the, so when the, the TARDIS shows up again, I like the fact she goes, she says, come to daddy. I mean, mommy or whatever. That was <laughs> like, funny. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like she's still trying to get it straight in her head. Um, so, so now let's talk about it. the new TARDIS. Um, like what do you the think? outside. Yep. Uh, yeah. This, the St. John's Ambulance uh, logo that's been on there throughout all of Moffat's era is now gone again. Right. Mm -hmm. Notice that. It's got more of a greenish blue tint, a blue green tint. Mm -hmm. um, I noticed that. Uh, yep. So, the, the, so that's the exterior. That's not too much to talk, not too much there. Um, I did notice how the doctor kind of talked to the TARDIS um, yeah. as, as a being, uh, as we've seen in The Doctor's Wife. Uh, and. Uh, because she and, lost the key, the TARDIS opens the door for her. Right. And and that's consistent with going back to Matt Smith, where he or uh, David Tennant, where he, the 10th Doctor learned he could snap his fingers and either light a cigar or open the TARDIS door. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. Don't carry cigars with you when you're around the Doctor. <laughs> um, so and then, OK, so let's talk about the interior. So they, I want to point yeah. out before we talk about the interior, I did like the little twist that they did when the doctor walked in. Yeah. You've redecorated. I like <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. Of course, traditionally uh, the doctor I, always I, said, I, you've redecorated. I don't like it. Yeah. But yeah. that being said, I think she, uh, we're going to be in agreement here. Yeah. She said, we I don't really like it. Like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I very much more agreed with Patrick Troughton's second doctor's assessment of the third doctor's TARDIS. Ooh, you've done up the TARDIS. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I don't so, like this. I don't like the crystals. I don't like the continuing orange color scheme that we've had ever since the series relaunched. It feels cramped. We have another weird console that doesn't look back science fiction-y. We're back it's to got, a junkyard, what I'm calling a junkyard console. Yeah. So uh, I I have it's to say, so I, I, I'm not, yeah, it's, it is very dark. It's That was kind of an odd choice. Uh, the crystals don't make any sense to me. They don't look like anything we've seen before from any TARDIS. I'm with you, uh, Jimmy. When you, you said a, a few episodes ago, why can't we just go back to the a a regular science fictiony co console room and leave it <laughs> instead yeah. of changing it constantly? It was good enough for the first 25 years of the series, the, the the TV series. What's what's wrong with leaving it? just the way it was it's well, can fine we, can, or, can the, or can update doctor, it but can leave the, it can the doctor go to uh home depot and buy some lights for the tardis <laughs> yeah 
Please, well, just would, some basic spotlights. They're not that expensive. I think the doctor could probably afford them. Yeah. So, the, you know, they, they have a hint at the, the roundels. The, mm-hmm. the, the, the pattern is there. Um, a couple of things. I, one thing I thought was kind of interesting was how the, the, the police box is, is now it's, it's not just a door and you're in the TARDIS. It's the yeah. box is kind of tacked on it completely yeah. to the front, mm-hmm. which is an interesting choice. I had a note. I re- I did like that. That's the one aspect of the interior yep. design. I did like that makes a lot of sense. Um, they should have done that before. That's a great solution. Um, I well, there's also, two things I like, too. OK, the second thing I like. Go ahead. Go. Well, I was going to say, I also like the fact that they had the doctor being the one surprised at the interior mm-hmm. for once. And I like the fact that none of the companions said it's bigger on the inside. That was <laughs> right. a nice subversion of expectations. They did talk yep. about the fact it's bigger on the inside, but they didn't they didn't do the formulaic way of someone saying yeah. it. Right. So the other uh, part of the, the new TARDIS that I like is the uh, custard cream dispenser on the console. Uh, the, the, the cookie, <laughs> the foot pedal opens up a thing and you get the cookie. So uh, well, apparently the doctor has moved off from Jimmy Dodgers and uh, she loves custard cream biscuits uh, instead. So, uh, you know, I didn't know it was a custard cream biscuit. I just I thought it was like, like some a kind digestive, of, but yeah. Oh, if you if you look on Twitter, <laughs> it's all, all of our British exactly friends, what, which okay. model it is or which version it is. And... Yes. All of our British friends who are Doctor Who fans have all all immediately recognized the the doctor eating a custard cream biscuit. So. <laughs> now, now, that being said, I, I'm waiting for and I'm sure it's going to be coming out here soon. That little light up spinny TARDIS that was on the console. Oh, yeah. It's going to be available to purchase here very soon. And actually, I kind of want one. It looked kind of cool. I I want one now. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, as a part of the console, I don't know, but it's as a toy. Something to sit on my desk and hit a button and it sits there and lights up and spins and maybe even makes the noise. As a a Christmas tree ornament, it's fine. I thought it was too on the nose to be on the console. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) Right, right. So um, so that's the episode itself. Uh, I'd like to talk a bit about what we get coming up. But um, but any more notes or thoughts that we didn't cover about the episode itself that you'd like to bring up, Jimmy? Uh, No, I thought it was an okay episode. I thought it despite the pace, I thought for me it dragged a little bit in parts. Um, And and I so I didn't like it as much as the first episode. But um, but it was okay, you know. I didn't view it as an intrinsically bad episode. It had a lot of little bits I liked. It had a few bits I didn't like, but I did like the fact it also continued a more realistic feel than what we've had in recent times from Doctor Who, and I think the on-location shooting helped with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and uh, Father Corey, I, I kind of I think pretty much talked everything I had to say about it. I just. Uh, it, it it yeah it just I I had such a hard time because it felt so draggy at times. I mean, there were parts that weren't, but and just uh, the kind of where it felt again, like you know, they just took Hunger Games and kind of changed things a little bit. I admit, I didn't know that's because it's a common trope, but still. Okay. Uh, I I I liked it. Um, I didn't feel like it dragged too much for me. Um, I I I saw some people say online that they 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 were bored halfway through. That's certainly not my experience uh, of it. Uh, I really liked the um, one thing I didn't mention was I really liked the whole spaceship crashing bit. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. As they're running away from the crashing spaceship. Uh, so that was a lot of fun. Um, 
But overall, I, I, actually, I yeah. think that's part of the issue for a lot of people who thought it dragged was it had it did have a very fast paced, tense opening with the right. everybody getting caught on the spaceships and we've got to hit the ground running and 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 solve these problems and that was very engaging, and then the the momentum kind of reset yeah. once they're on yep. the planet and it's it there's a lot more exposition and things are happening a lot slower and I think that's for me where it started to drag. And then I thought, I really hope it picks up by the end. You're, the part on the boat, as much as I liked them having that conversation, uh, I think that the, the part of the stuff on the boat was did take a little long, and there was a little bit uh, extra there that, that maybe that didn't need to be there, or or just just made it feel slower. Uh, and and then a little bit in the tunnel, but but uh, I see I see what people are saying. There's, there were, there were moments where I was thinking, where how much longer is left in this? And that's never a good sign when I'm when I'm wondering. You know, yeah. how much longer is left um not that i didn't like it just it i i it, I, I lost my attention so uh so the next time we're going to be doing the, the episode is called rosa and it's the one we've all heard about about where they go to the 1950s uh american south and we they'll meet rosa parks uh and this and is another common doctor who trope where they meet a historical figure and and I like for once that they're not meeting Shakespeare or Charles another, Dickens or another British figure, right? Yeah. Um, and also, I like the name of it, given the that Rose was the episode that relaunched New Who. Rosa. Yes. If you're going to do a Rosa Parks story, that's the right title for exactly. it. Exactly. It, it is. It is. So, uh, we we probably shouldn't talk too much about. Um, what we expect from that. I want to kind of go into that episode fresh uh, and, and maybe our listeners. Yep. So um, I want to you know, now do a little bit of feedback. I know we're going a little long, but uh, you know, Hey, it's new, new episodes of dark. Who We got to talk about them. But uh, uh, first uh, for, uh, from the woman who fell to earth, a couple of comments uh, first from our friend, Bennett Gillespie, who is uh, from the UK who wrote on Facebook. He says uh, the universal condemnation about knife carrying is PC was very culturally skewed it came close to advocating breaking the law in the uk i'm sure that wasn't the intention i would propose that the episode's message was aimed more at the uk audience and not the twine cutting 80 percent populace of montana as reference what father Corey said i can see why some sensible people from the usa would bump on the statement uh we we had a little conversation on facebook about it and it was all very cordial yeah um but uh the gist and, and, uh, oh, go ahead and the, and the three of us we don't in fact we invite contrary opinions if you have a, another opinion on something that's great yes. um so you know it it in this case it happened that the three of us did bump on the statement um i mean two of us at least father Corey and i both have rural backgrounds right. where knife carrying is not just tolerated it's expected because yeah. they're tools. So, you know, and just coincidentally, all three of us also happen to have kitchens. And so, <laughs> you know, knives are a part of our lives. Um, and but certainly and, we and, weren't. We're, yeah, we weren't saying but, people should break the law. No, I think we're just kind of uh, we weren't saying it. Yeah. Well, maybe well, change the law. But yeah, uh, right. Well, and, and you know, and the, the fact that it was, well, it's a Swiss army knife. Well, maybe not a Swiss army <clears throat> knife because knife, you know, only idiots carry knives, you know? And it's like, well, but a Swiss army knife is not a weapon. It was never designed as a weapon. It was designed as a tool. Right. And that, I think like that's, that's where, that and I think that's poke people's eyes. Yeah. With. And yeah. that's, and I think that's where we, we, at least Jimmy and I both kind of went, wait a second here. You're, you're, you're yeah. not talking about a Bowie knife. You're not talking about a machete. You're talking about, useful tool that people use in their daily lives. 
Right. So, and it, I mean, from our point of view, the, the you know, the I I would never tell the UK you have to change your law to to, to allow something that you that you as British citizens think that should not be allowed in your situation related to your society. That's mm-hmm. what that's fine. I, I mean, that's that we can disagree on that. Um, yep. So we, I don't think I certainly wouldn't. You know, I, I think from our point of view, it's just um, kind of a, 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 we're giving our reaction from our viewpoint where we yep. are uh, as you know whether Montana or right whether you're from Montana or living in California or as I do live outside of Boston. Um, you know, we're giving our point of view on how we feel about it, and certainly it's it's not. Yeah. And we, and we, do, we do welcome yeah. other other people's views and, you know, and you yeah. disagree with us. Great. Well, you know, I mean, you're wrong. Hopefully we can meet up someday and go and discuss this over a couple of pints. And well, Bennett, uh, optional. If, if you'd like to discuss in, per, in person, um, I will gladly uh, someday fly over to the UK. We can go to a pub and have a nice uh, pint. Works and, for me. And we can <laughs> debate Doctor Who and everything. I'm happy to do it. And I think Bennett's comment that this was directed at the UK audience is absolutely right on. Yes. My point my point would be and Doctor Who has a global audience and the producers should be thinking about how that's gonna play with mm-hmm. people in other countries too. Right, exactly. All right. So moving on to our uh to more um uh feedback. Uh, we got an email from Kathleen Ross who was kinda of long, uh, so I'm gonna kind of just pick out one point that she made that uh that was interesting. Um she kind of goes back to our uh, review of Face the Raven from last season. Oh, wow. Uh, she, yeah, she says uh, it, during that we... That, that's uh, not just last season. That's two seasons ago. You know, right, that's two yeah, seasons. Yeah, two right. seasons, yeah. She, she's just catching Long up. Long memory. Yeah. Good, I, great, says, good I, for her. I confess I fell over laughing listening to your explanations and possible deeper meanings of retcon. Clearly you guys haven't seen Torchwood because that is 100% where the retcon reference originated. Retcon is simply the name of an amnesia drug that is frequently used throughout the Torchwood series. Okay, uh, well, that may be the case on Torchwood, but the term retcon actually has deeper roots than that. It goes back to comic book culture of at least the 1990s, if not the 1980s. In comic mm-hmm. books, retconning something is providing an alternative or retroactive explanation of something in continuity. A classic example would be in the X-Men, originally Jean Grey was irradiated on a space shuttle and became Phoenix, who then became Dark Phoenix and then died. And then they wanted to bring back the Jean Grey character. But because she had become Dark Phoenix, an evil person, they needed a retroactive way of changing their continuity. And they said, oh, guess what? Jean Grey was never Phoenix at all. She was right. stuck at the bottom of a bay while this other entity became Phoenix and then Dark Phoenix. That's an so, example of retconning. Right. Wikipedia, which has, you know, gives references. The first use of the term retroactive continuity was from a 1973 book, uh-huh. The Theology of Wolfhart Pennenberg. The first known printed use of, ret- of retroactive continuity referring to the alter- altering of history in a fictional work is in All-Star Squadron number 18 from DC Comics, February 1983. Yeah. Um, at some point, retcon, ret- retroactive continuity was shortened to retcon. Um, the earliest known re- reference to that is 1980, 1988 on Usenet, the uh, Usenet news groups. So um, I, I don't, you know, you're wrong, Karen. I'm not going to say. 
No, no. I, I just, think it's actually it's helpful that Karen yeah. pointed out that it has this special meaning on Torchwood because right. I have not watched Torchwood. No. I've seen a couple of things, but it yeah. really wasn't to my taste. And, and, and so what, I didn't know that. What and that's what means. It actually, you know, the, their use of it is, is kind of kind of a nice. You it's know, a fun joke. Point, yeah, you know, yeah. point at it, you know, kind of poking at it a little bit by using it as an amnesia drug, the name of an amnesia right. drug. So actually, that's I like that. Yeah. yeah. So another uh, some more feedback from uh, this one from Father Brian Hess from the Diocese of Cheyenne, Wyoming, uh, right next door to Father Corey, uh, yep. relatively speaking. Uh, on the topic I think, of how I to think have... I met him a couple of years ago. So oh, awesome. Uh, so he says on the topic of how to have Jodie Whittaker inherit a role held by a man for fifty years. I thought they did a nice job in that first episode. Like you alluded to, they didn't go the whole "I am the woman doctor, hear me roar" route. <laughs> And so I thought Whittaker's take on the doctor was appropriately feminine. In particular, I thought that one, the way she apologized that her new friends had to see various things, and two, her complimenting of Ryan for asking good questions showed a feminine attentiveness to people, whereas men tend to be more task-oriented. The new Who doctors often march forward to defeat the bad guy with minimal regard for the feelings of his companion. Uh, think Matt Smith and Amy on the Byzantium. Amy, I'm scared. Doctor, of course you're scared. You're dying. Uh, so far, the new showrunners have struck a nice chord with the first female doctor. I like that. I like to see a a doctor who not not like feminine, like like she's like just ooh, ooh, you know uh, mincing around, but that that she just exhibits the unique traits of a woman uh, in, right. in how a woman mm -hmm. approaches things and deals with. I, I enjoy. Also, there's a little uh, Peter Davison like element there too, because he would also care for his companions feelings in an overt way, but he did it in a more masculine way, too. The famous example being him telling uh, Tegan Javanka, brave heart, Tegan, you know, right. which is a more masculine mm -hmm. way. But nevertheless, it's like what Jodie Whittaker's doctor did with Ryan with at the latter. Yep. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Just a different nuance to it. Um, and then from our friend uh, Matt from Ithaca, who uh, writes that... Uh, Overall, I quite like the woman who fell to earth. Uh, I think Jodie Whittaker did a terrific job in the role, and so far I'm enjoying her and Chibnall's take on the character of the Doctor. Dynamic, optimistic, slightly disorganized, which is possibly a regeneration side effect, he points out, but not overconfident or overcapable. Here's hoping we're done with the near-omniscient Doctors for a while. Amen. Um, I like the character-driven opening, which introduces us to the new companions. Not sure I like friends, quote-unquote, uh, which we talked about before, with great economy. Mm -hmm. Uh, episodes set entirely at night or in the dark tend to get dreary after a while, uh, with, but the look of the new series is otherwise fantastic. Well, that kind of solved a little bit of that in this episode. Certainly yeah. Those monuments, a lot of outside. Uh, the actual plot is where things fell down for me a bit. The revelation of what Tim Shaw was really up to was a bit disappointing, and it felt like everything slowed down after that. I, I've never seen Predator, but that comparison was being made left and right in the fan forums, and I did recognize the concept from a few other shows. I don't necessarily mind recycling, but in this case, it was a letdown. So that's, that's two episodes that's, where there's a bit of an accusation of recycling of uh, story ideas. I think we're going to have that going forward, especially if you're doing standalone stories. Mm -hmm. um, you're not going to be able to avoid, you know, recycling things that have been done elsewhere. There's only a certain number of plots. And, and I mean, it can be done well, you know, because, yeah, yeah you, you could you could make that very strong argument that the first episode was basically, you know, Predator retold. But it I thought it did a good job of retelling it. So. That's that's actually the uh, kind of in the ancient world where people would have alternate versions of familiar stories, whether 
you know, back then it would be the Atrahasis epic or the Gilgamesh epic or the Iliad or the Odyssey. Um, before they had their defic, you know, kind of fixed forms, the 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 art of the story was how well is the storyteller going to do it in this performance, right? And because every performance was different, and um, it's kind of like appreciating with the Battlestar Galactica original versus its reboot. Right. What's in, it's it's like okay, what's different about it, and how good are they going to do it this time, right? So um, and then he just one last thought. He says, uh, "You previously asked for feedback on Chibnall's handling of Torchwood," uh, and he said, "I've seen all of Torchwood and enjoyed it overall." Um, he says, uh, he, "I bring this up because I could totally see the woman who fell to Earth working as a Torchwood episode hmm. if the Doctor were taken out of it. The right, hmm. the night oh, setting, sure, sure. a rogue alien running around the city acting nasty, the gruesome deaths, and the macabre use of teeth. If we were told tomorrow that the." The woman who fell to earth began life as an unused Torchwood script that Chibnall dusted off last year. I'd find it entirely plausible. Interesting. Hmm, fair enough. Fair enough. So uh, we've got other feedback uh, going on some previous episodes that I just, uh, we just don't have time to get to at the moment. Uh, if maybe we can in the future uh, uh, come back to it uh, on on some of our previous episodes that we've done, and uh, and that's great. But thank you so much, everyone, for sending your feedback and. Uh, online and, and in email. We really appreciate it. I think it adds a lot to the show to have Send your participation. More. Yes, please keep yes. keep uh, giving us more feedback. So, uh, again, that's it from us. So so tell us what you thought of the Ghost Monument and of our discussion. Are we way off base again <laughs> on yeah. some things? I'm sure we are, uh, you know, from, from others' point of view. So let us know. So uh, And how do you give feedback? Go to sqpn.com. Or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page and leave us feedback on the uh, posting for this particular show. Uh, or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. Um, you can find links to all of our personal social media and websites on our show notes on sqpn.com. Uh, we'll be back, like I said, next time when we'll be discussing next week's episode called Rosa. Until then, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for joining me in sharing the Secrets of Doctor Who. Thanks, Tom. Father Corey Stika, thank you as well. Glad to be here, and thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, I'm really good in a tight spot. At least I have been historically. I'm sure I still am. Right. This is going to be fun. This is Dom Bettinelli again. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast and that you'll help us keep producing the podcast you love. Thank you for your generosity. To make your pledge and find out about the free thank you gifts we'd like to send you, visit sqpn.com give. That's sqpn.com give.